Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Welcome to NYC Now, your source for local news in and around New York City from WNYC. It's Tuesday, September 26th. Here's the midday news from Lance Lucky. New Jersey's junior Senator Cory Booker is now calling for his indicted colleague, Senator Robert Menendez, to resign. In a statement released today, Booker says stepping down would not be an admission of guilt, but, quote, an acknowledgement that holding public office often demands tremendous sacrifices at great personal cost. Booker says he's always known Menendez to be gifted and empathetic and that he's shocked by the detailed, specific allegations against him. Prosecutors say Menendez took hundreds of thousands of dollars and lavish gifts to help Egyptian interests and interfere with criminal investigations. A New Jersey think tank says the state should solve its public transportation fiscal problems by extending a tax on some of the state's biggest businesses. In a report released today, the organization New Jersey Policy Perspective proposes that the state continue a corporate tax surcharge. It says that would help cover the $1 billion deficit faced by NJ Transit once pandemic assistance ends. The state enacted the corporate tax on profits for the top 2% of businesses in 2018, but it's set to expire at the end of the year. New Jersey already has one of the highest corporate tax rates in the country. Ophelia's remnants are finally going away by early this evening and after a thorough drenching since Saturday. That's according to National Weather Service meteorologist Jim Connolly. The remnants of Ophelia are offshore over the ocean right now, and they are going to continue to drift southward as the day goes on. So we've got pockets of light rain out there. It's not very heavy today. We're not expecting it to be heavy today. Some spots, such as southern Queens and parts of Staten Island, will see the rain linger a bit longer, but the last of it should end by 11 tonight, and then dry conditions for the next couple of days with uh, sunny skies tomorrow and just a few clouds Thursday and 65. This is WNYC. When you see actor Danielle Brooks on the red carpet at the Oscars, she will be in full glamour and in grief. I've been with Sophia for so long, and I just know, like, after the Oscars, that chapter is really done, and that saddens me. I'm Kai Wright, a star of The Color Purple, honors the role that shaped her career. Next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sean Carlson for WNYC. With more people working from home now, some of New York City's neighborhoods have shifted. New York City mornings and evenings were previously packed with commuters trying to get to and from work. But now subway cars might feel a bit lighter on some days. How have neighborhoods in Manhattan and places like downtown Brooklyn where there are a lot of offices changed? Have people's relationships with their community changed if they're home most of the time? Jeffrey LeFrancois is the chair of a Manhattan community board that covers Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, parts of Midtown. Giva Coney is the chair of the Prospect Heights Neighborhood Development Council, which runs the open streets programs on Vanderbilt Avenue and Underhill Avenue in Prospect Heights. They both join us now to talk about it. Welcome to you both. Thanks for coming on, all things considered. Thank you. Thank you. Gabe, can you tell us about the open streets programs that started during the pandemic in Prospect Heights and how they've evolved now over three years um, into the pandemic? The open streets programs began as pandemic relief. Uh, We started one on Underhill Avenue, which uh, was a program mostly designed to create some space for people to socially distance. And we started another on Vanderbilt Avenue, which was intended to provide economic relief for a large number of restaurants that are on that street, uh, who we were concerned would have difficulty surviving the ban on indoor dining. What we didn't expect was how 
the community was going to adopt them. We found folks would come out not only with their kids to be able to recreate on the street, but also to bring out picnics, often come with a table and chairs to have a family dinner on the street at night. And we've actually had about half a dozen couples get married on the street. So today it's one of the largest, um, what's called the full closure open street program in New York City. We close for Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays. All of the planning and management is still done by volunteers who live and work here in Prospect Heights. Jeffrey, you're the chair of the Manhattan Community Board that comprises the area between 14th and 59th Streets uh, adjacent to Midtown. Many offices there, of course, empty now. And a lot of people are demanding that those office spaces get converted into affordable housing units. Can you talk about how you've seen the neighborhood change during and after the pandemic? No doubt the neighborhood has changed. And we, I think, are continuing to establish, you know, what a new normal is for 2023 on the West Side. Um, You know, it was announced last week that tourism numbers have very much rebounded. Hotel occupancy rates are very strong. So there's a, you know, the real, the tourism is back. The sounds of the world you hear on the street again. Um, But struggle remains to be had as it relates to folks coming to work um, five days a week. And I'll be blunt, I don't think there's going to be a five, uh, you know, day a week solid work return. Small businesses are are happy to have sort of their neighbors working from home. But at the same time, in sort of the micro economies of Midtown, a lot of the mom and pops have been negatively affected by the work from home uh, factor because not as many folks are coming to grab lunch, uh, to go to happy hour when they leave the office. Um, and likewise, just for example, you know, on Restaurant Row on 46th Street, just outside of of the theater district, um, they've adapted to figure out how best to make sure they can meet the demand. I think many of them are now closed on Mondays. Um, and so businesses are continuing to figure out how best to, to serve the consumer um, for today. Um, and I certainly think we feel that um, in neighborhoods, um, you know, like you mentioned, the core of Midtown, but also sort of the res- residential confines as well, Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, um, and further south into the village too. Gib, what difference do you see in your community after Open Streets uh, became a thing? Open Streets has brought the community together in a way I could never have imagined before this. Um, Because we created a program that involves both residents and businesses, that relationship has become very, very close right now. Um, And businesses on Vanderbilt Avenue that may have only had a passing acquaintance now work together quite closely. And it's a really marvelous thing to watch. It's made the street much more cohesive and really created a community. And having people be able to come out every weekend and experience that together in their own neighborhood has also created a cohesion in the community that has never really existed in the same way before. Um, We talk about people who are working from home, who are spending more time in the neighborhood. These are the kind of people who come to the programming we do during the week on Underhill Avenue to take yoga classes, Zumba, play chess. Do you think that it's sustainable moving forward? What is the future of it? It is still relatively new to New York City, even though we're in our fourth year of operating it. It hasn't been fully integrated into all of the agencies of New York City that we have to work with to make it possible. So obviously it's DOT's program, but we also do a lot of interaction with the police. We interact with sanitation. We interact with the mayor's office as well. 
Um, and it's not necessarily understood on the same level by all of those groups. These programs are extremely labor intensive to run. Uh, it's a lot more than just having a couple of barriers on the street. When we open Vanderbilt Avenue for the weekend, we're creating four acres of temporary public open space. We went from something that was basically zero in 2020 to what's effectively a small business right now. Um, so the sustainability of it is really a question of having the city be able to fully support groups like ours that operate on uh, a volunteer basis or a nonprofit basis and um, and support us with the type of infrastructure and services we need to be able to continue this. What have you heard from opponents who don't like six blocks of streets closed? When you see something as visible as an open street, especially something as large as Vanderbilt Avenue, there's a tendency to point to it and say, you know, the traffic problems that we have, we have congestion, we have trouble finding parking, these must be the fault of the open street. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know anyone who believes that it'll ever be easier to drive and park in Brooklyn. What we're doing right now is not working. Um, and we have to find solutions that are aligned with city policies that point to reducing the dependence on cars to be able to move forward. These kinds of traffic impacts are multivariate in cause. Um, they're not just about a street that happens to be closed for an open street on a temporary basis. People do complain about lack of parking, but the other thing people in New York City complain about is lack of open space. Um, our neighborhood is in the process of being rezoned for much greater density. And one of the things that comes up in every public meeting is where is the open space? How are we going to account for that as we add more people to this neighborhood? And there are not that many ways. Jeffrey, you, you were talking about how New York City is, is continually changing, and, and it is. That's part of the, the lifeblood of the city, right? One of the things that's huge, a part of the conversation right now, um, I mean, we're, all of us are, are, are subject to it, is that the, the cost of living are, are so high. Um, what are you hearing from residents in, in, in your area about it? Do you see less people moving to the city? You know, yeah, it has become incredibly expensive um, to call uh, Manhattan and I think all of New York City um, home. And that, I think, stems from the fact in a major way that we really stopped building for people um, after 1961, which is when the last citywide zoning changes were put into effect, which really regulated very heavily the amount of housing and affordable housing that can be developed in the city. So fast forward uh, through a time of booming growth pre-pandemic, contraction during the pandemic, and now a boom again. And here we are. It's really hard to save money, uh, to pay the rent, um, and you know, occasionally have dinner out. Um, but no matter what, at the end of the day, people still want to call New York City home. That was Jeffrey LaFrancois, the chair of Manhattan Community Board 4, which covers Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, and other parts of Midtown, and Gid Vaconi, the chair of the Prospect Heights Neighborhood Development Council. Thanks so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. Thank, Thank you. you Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This is NYC Now from WNYC. Be sure to catch us every weekday, three times a day, for your top news headlines and occasional deep dives. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back this evening. I'm David Remnick, and each week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, my colleagues and I unpack what's happening in a very complicated world. You'll hear from the New Yorker's award-winning reporters and thinkers, Jelani Cobb on race and justice, 
Jill Lepore on American history, Vincent Cunningham and Gia Tolentino on culture, Bill McKibben on climate change, and many more. To get the context behind events in the news, listen to the New Yorker Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts.